Welcome to The Foundry, where leaders are forged daily. Each week, we investigate themes of leadership, entrepreneurship, and mindset with some of the greatest minds in real estate. And now, the data scientist of real estate, George Roberts. Welcome back, investors. Today, we're joined by Shannon Robnett, a developer with over 25 years of experience. Shannon has been involved in construction projects ranging from multifamily office buildings and municipal buildings to schools, industrial projects, and mini storage. He is also host of Robnet's Real Estate Rundown Show and founder of Shannon Robnet Industries. Welcome to the show, Shannon. Thank you, George. Appreciate you having me on. Right. I mean, you've got solid credit. You've got a step up in rent, most likely every year, multi-year leases. There are a lot of things to, to recommend this. And then it's probably a triple net property too. So then you you basically, you know that your top line and your bottom line, you know where that's going to shake out because you don't really have much to do in terms of building maintenance. Obviously the downside, since you mentioned only the upside, <laughs> is that uh, when Bob moves his sprinkler company out of there, it may be really hard to find another tenant. You might be vacant for a while. But again, if it's as long as it's not your only property, if you have a portfolio, I would right. say definitely that would be the next thing I'd be trying to add. Yeah, you know, and I liken it back to when most people, the first thing that people want to do, you know, they either either they house hack, you know, a duplex or a fourplex. Well, when you have somebody move out of a fourplex, you got a 25% vacancy, right? While you're having, you know, it's a very easy to use commodity. One of the things that we love is the multi-tenant buildings. So we're taking down a project right now in Houston. It's 35,000 square feet. It's got nine tenants, right? You've got 1,500 to 6,000 square feet. So any one tenant moving out will cause a gap, but mm -hmm. you're not dealing with a million square foot Amazon warehouse, right? So there's some benefit to that, but you are right uh, that the vacancy can and does take a little bit longer to fill. But the other side of that is when you look at your triple nets, property taxes are reimbursed. In, uh, insurance is reimbursed. So when you're looking at the Texas market after what happened with the freeze a couple of years ago, everybody's insurance is doubling. But in a triple net product, I don't care. I mean, my tenant will care, but he already knew that was coming because he's priced that into his business. You know, So you see a lot of that. It, it is a step up, but it's definitely something that I would encourage everybody to look very strongly at because the cash on cash returns in industrial start in the sixes and the sevens right away. Yeah. I just love that. That's such a good thing. And of course, then there is still value add there, but it's it's different. It's not about putting down granite countertops. Right. But again, you can have, you know, sign longer leases or with credit, not uh, necessarily tenants with a better credit profile, or if you're expanding it to say things like strip malls, et cetera, just get somebody that has a corporate guarantee, all these things, you can always do value add. So you're talking about starting out as, if if you have uh, the right idea and you know what to do to to take the the project forward, yes, you can do some major value add there. Well, and one of the things that we've always done is we've always signed CPI increases on our rents, right? Mm -hmm. And nobody cared until the last twenty four right. months when CPI went to nine percent, right? But it's baked in, right? So when you're looking at those kinds of things, it really does make sense to pay attention to other classes. And I think it's just like anything. You know, certain areas of town get hot for a while. Then maybe the price value of going across town becomes 
evident and people move there and then that area gets too hot. And then, you, you know, it's kind of the same thing with your different classes of real estate. And now you're going to see, I think there's going to be a lot of value coming to the office market because office is being underutilized. You're seeing rents are going to adjust. You're going to see product come down in price and there's going to be some value. There's going to be some great opportunities in office in the next 36 months. And you just got to be able to cycle through that and understand maybe the different genres and and see which one fits at the time. Yeah, outstanding. I hope people are out there listening. And before we move on to opportunity zones, really want to ask you about that. I understand about half of what you build is in opportunity zones. Remind people that you are working through the syndication model. So if you like yeah. what you're hearing, you can uh, reach out to Shannon Robnett Industries. You can become a limited partner in one of these deals. And I like construction myself. I think it's a great thing to invest in. Uh, certainly not going to be the only place I put my dollars. But again, as you talked about building a portfolio, it certainly makes sense, especially when we're underbuilt, I would say, to have some of that in your portfolio. Well, and yeah, you know, just a natural segue to into opportunity zones. You know, opportunity zones require a 10-year investment to really mm -hmm. see the benefit of them. And when you're building brand new product, you know, you're good for the first 10 years, right? So when you're going into the opportunity zone idea, you want something that you're not going to need to be pumping more dollars into in four, five, six years. And so what we do is we build a lot of ground up brand new in opportunity zones, whether we tear down old buildings and use some cost segregation and some tax savings there to offset the taxes that were due, or whether we come in and, and build on undeveloped parcels in opportunity zones, we're able to go the, the distance that will be required from the IRS because that model predicates that you stay in the opportunity zone investment for a minimum of 10 years. And so we're able to do that in a fashion that makes sense and provide our investors with something that is brand new now and is still going to be very, very relevant in the next 10 years, so that when we're looking to transition out of that after serving our time and creating the value that we get from complying with all the Opportunity Zone requirements, we're now in a position to sell something off to the next guy that they can then come in and do their value add with. 100%. I got to say, there's at least two uh, favorite facts I have about Opportunity Zones. And the first is, yes, you don't have to worry about doing, you say, 1031 three years, five years, or sometimes even two years in the project, considering how we've seen some major appreciation, people getting in and out very quickly. And the other is, I like to call it a 1031 for everything, because I don't know that everybody knows this, but you can roll all kinds of gains into an opportunity zone, not just talking about real estate. It could be in the stock market. It could be crypto, because I guess most people don't have a lot of crypto capital gains these days. Not this year. <laughs> Definitely not. So, uh, but again, you, I mean, you being in the field, uh, what would you say? Do you have any other things you'd like to add to that list? You know, one of the things that we're seeing is people are retiring, right? And so they're selling businesses. And, you know, you're exactly right. I mean, if you have a business that you have a basis and a value of a million dollars and you sell it for $3 million, if you were to do a 1031, you'd have to go spend $3 million and $1 on another business. But in an opportunity zone, you're going to bring your $2 million in profit to the opportunity zone. That's all you're reinvesting is your gain. Mm -hmm. And you're going to put the million dollars that you built the business with in your pocket 
and use that to do with whatever you want, right? And so the reality is, yes, you've got some stock gains, you've got crypto, you've got, you know, even selling livestock. I mean, there's a lot of different things that you can do. Any capital gain can go into an opportunity zone. The other thing that you get is you get a deferment of the tax for until 2026, physical year 2027. So we've got a deal right now where the people have gotten into the deal. We've done some cost segregation because it had an existing building on it. We're redeveloping the project. We're going to tear the building down. So between those two events, I'm going to be able to return to them enough depreciation that they'll be able to offset their capital gains tax through other channels. So before their taxes due, we've been able to offset it. Now we're going to build the new product. We're going to come into that other scenario where now we're, we, we've got this product and we're going to continue to hold that product for the next 10 to 15 years. And we have to be out of it by 2046. So we can take it all the way to 2045, hold on to this asset, let it continue to appreciate. And then when we get out, there's no capital gains due, which will be massive after 10 or 15 years of appreciation and nothing to pay on that. All good. And if we have any single family investors there, people who haven't actually dipped their toe in the commercial waters, the depreciation that you can get out of these projects is just tremendous. I mean, we're not talking about straight line 29.5 here depreciation, which is nice, by the way. I mean, we're talking about stuff that can just literally slash your taxes. And if you do the right thing, 1031 exchange, opportunity zone, et cetera, then you can find yourself deferring those taxes far on down the line. Well, and you know, it's funny because I don't know why they felt it was necessary to throw in that additional half a year, you know, like 29 wasn't good enough. We got to throw 29 and a half, you know, <laughs> but that's the IRS and their infinite wisdom. But, you know, when you do that, we're able to return usually about 30% of the value of the project in a depreciation event up front. So if you've got a $10 million project, you're able to come up with about $3 million in depreciation which is really close to the equity that was put in the deal. Maybe you've gone 4 million into the deal. You're able to really help people deal with that because taking that unworking partner, that fat, ugly, ugly Uncle Sam out of your deal adds to profitability like you've never seen. All good stuff. Well, hey, before we move on, just want to say one of the things that I find people falling into is a sort of a pitfall when they do deal with something that's triple net, whether it be retail or industrial, is just assuming that triple net, you know, is is like a single thing, right? Every triple net lease is different. You want to know who pays for what, you know, don't say it's a triple net lease, read the lease. And when you say that you'd always put those CPI increases into the lease, I love it. It's things like that. People who know what they're looking for, people who know what to expect on the uh, economic landscape, et cetera, and who really read these leases, these are people who do very well in things like industrial. Well, that's where, you know, I'd like to say that I just know all this stuff, but I got to tell you, man, 27 years in the industry and forgetting to assign some of these things once or twice is why we do it now. You know, we were just in the war room breaking down every single lease that we're assuming, going through every single signature, making sure that every single thing is checked and every single box is there so that we don't have to make that assumption that this lease is like we would like it. We make the assumption after we verified that it is exactly like what we would like, or we know that this one is flagged so that when we renew, we change those things and make sure we don't miss them. Right. And even when you have a lawyer go through that with you, or, or if you did regardless, they, they give you all these 
caveats that yeah. this lease summary have errors and omissions, right? right? What am I paying you $325 an hour for? But well, again, like you can't the, like really summarize these things perfectly, can you? Yeah, I, I'd like your attorney's name at $325 an hour. He's a little yeah. cheaper than Well, Mike. exactly. Or, and up. So, all right, if we're going to get to the next section, we just got to move on. But yeah. great, a lot of gold here. So you built a very large enterprise. I want to know, what are some of your tips for being a good mentor. And maybe if you could walk us through the process, because I know nobody is a great mentor to begin with. What did it take to develop yourself to become the sort of leader and mentor that can run a big enterprise like this and motivate people and, and keep it together? You know, the thing that I, I've had this asked a, a couple of different ways, but the reality is if I could go back and tell my younger self to do something, it would be to get a job. You know, and the reason that I use that is because I could have learned so much more by working for someone else. I've never had a job. I've learned everything from knocking my head against it about doing it wrong. I've, I've, you know, but the reality is when you're looking to do this, having a mentor is huge. Uh, being an LP, you know, everybody wants to be a GP, but I, being an LP is awesome because you get to see how they do it. You get to look at what you would do different. Maybe you would do it this way. You would do it that way. But when you're all said and done, maybe there's a reason why that was done that way. You know, I love it when people get into our deals, they want to know more and they're constantly asking, they're saying, hey, can we be on the earnings call? Can we go through this? Can we look at this? I love that because an educated investor is, is a real pleasure to have in the deal because they understand why you're doing it. And if they want to know more, I'm always willing to show them more because when you understand it, then you can look at it. I've had LPs bring me deals and go, listen, I have no interest in being the active investor here, but here's a deal you could do. And I've done them, right? And so I look at that and I go, man, get a mentor, get somebody that's been in the business more than this market cycle. Get somebody with at least 15 years of track record history that can show you what happens when the proverbial fan gets turned on and stuff gets thrown at it, right? <laughs> Which is where we're at now because there's a lot of people that, I mean, I don't know how many times I told people, lock in your debt. Don't get variable debt. Get fixed. You will not see 3% money again in your life. And they took the half a percent discount. They went right. with the variable rate and they're getting murdered now. Yeah. But they didn't have the experience. They didn't have the longevity in the market to be able to tell them that that's what they should have done. Yeah, a lot of great things there I'd like to underscore. It's great to be a limited partner. You can learn a lot. But also when you do look for that sponsor, look for somebody who's willing to talk to you. If somebody's not willing to talk to you before the deal, before you wire your money, then forget about it, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's one thing that I, I will always pull out my underwriting. I will send you my underwriting. We can go through it together. I want you to understand exactly what levers we're going to pull to do exactly what with so that you can see, you can be watching the news. You know, I got an article the other day for one of my limited partners, and I really appreciate what Mike does. He sends me this article and he goes, man, these guys are saying the exact same things you are, right? That to me tells me that he understands our deal because these things aren't freaking him out. These are the reasons that we're, we underwrote this way. This is why we're going to be successful. This is why there's nothing to be concerned about, even though everybody's talking about all the fear mongering that's going on in the market, because he really truly does understand. And we've worked on that knowledge together. Yeah, good stuff. 
Well, let's see. You mentioned uh, variable rates. I mean, that is a huge thing right now. I couldn't agree with you more. People who took that discount, they're really hurting right now. Um, I mean, just go to the single family space for a moment. One of the things that's different this time is we haven't had a major spread for the arms, right? So in the residential space, we don't have that product risk because people realized, hey, it isn't worth it. Why am I going to take a fraction of a percent better when I know that it could go up one, two or three percent, but not so in the commercial space because we don't have the same luxuries, quite right. simply. We, we don't get loans like 30-year fixed, fully amortized, non-recourse, no prepayment penalty. You, you, you don't have those luxuries here. So do you want to talk about bridge loans and, and how some people, or do, or do you want to expound on that? You already did a little bit. You know, I mean, I think that it really speaks to, you know, experience because, I mean, I mean, everybody that myself included, we took out all the money we could for all the length we could. I mean, we were getting 10 year stuff that was a half a percent higher than five year stuff because the value of that, I mean, just think right now, if you locked in, I'm buying a deal at a premium right now because I can assume 4% debt, right? If you locked in your deal a year and a half ago with three and a half percent money, right? That was assumable. You might've been three and an eighth to do that. But the fact that I could assume that means that your product is worth so much more because the cash flow is that much higher. And at the end of the day, all we're buying is cash flow, right? Yeah. All we're buying is what you can get between the rent coming in and the expenses going out, including your mortgage. So in that spread, you've made your product so much more valuable that that half a point doesn't even begin to cover what you're giving up on the upside. I mean, if you just do the math, if you get $35 a door more on a five cap property on 200 units, that's a million and a half bucks every day, all day long. So is that half a percent in interest or that quarter of a percent in interest really going to offset your deal versus having that locked in money that's assumable? Absolutely not. No, I mean, it's nice work if you can get it. If you right. get those assumable fixed loans at under market rates, of course, it's getting harder to do that because the banks, they realize that it's, well, it's one or the other. They either lose the business or they have to accept under market rate for a much longer period of time. But, you know, it's it's getting harder. But again, if you can make that happen, I think we're going to see a lot more assumptions. Well, I know we got to wrap it up. I'd like to ask you a couple more mindset questions. We'll go into the seven. First of all, if you can have a billboard, what would it say? Uh, I hadn't thought about that. Um, you know, if, if I could have a billboard, it would say, pay attention to the details because that's where your profit is. Well said. I think that when the storm does come and it is, it is coming, maybe not the crash that some people are talking about, but it's going to be those people that didn't pay to the attention to the details who are going to be in big, big trouble. So I guess with that, I'll ask you, uh, this is my favorite part of the interview. I call it the seven most challenging questions, rapid fire format. Are you up to the challenge, Shannon? Of course I am. All right, let's do it. If you could be known for only one thing, what would it be? 
You know, I would like to be known as someone that was a teacher, um, somebody that was able to help others learn what I've spent a lifetime putting together. What is the greatest lesson in leadership you've learned as an entrepreneur? Um, I don't know if it's karma, but what goes around does come around. So humility is always, always something you want to exercise because whether you're in need of it or you're the one that can give it, it's always appreciated, but it is in very, very short supply for entrepreneurs. What personal characteristic has been most pivotal to your success? Tenacity. Yes. I love it. And then we're going to go into the random portion of the interview. Just tell me when to stop cutting the deck. We've got go some. All right. Crazy questions here. Whoops. Almost dropped it. What do you love about your hometown? You know what? I'm sitting here looking at the mountains. They're 45 minutes away. I can be on a ski hill. There's a lake 45 minutes away. I can be water skiing. Not this time of year. Uh, mountain biking, everything. There's so much nature that's available here. And we're still, we still feel like a small town. We've grown a lot, but we still feel like a small town here in Boise, Idaho. Love it. Well, hey, Idaho is good enough for Ernest Hemingway. So if it's attracting writers, people, that sort of imagination, I know it's beautiful. Absolutely. Name a book that's helped to forge you as a leader and as an entrepreneur and why. You know, one of the, I, re, I read a lot. One of the ones that has really helped me, especially the last year and a half is Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference. Mm -hmm. We're in a place now where negotiations are more important than ever because you're negotiating against your downside potential. So I've seen a lot of value in that book lately. Can you describe a failure or a misstep and what it taught you? One of the things that I, and I look at what that cost my kids. As a father, there's something there that I, I would have done anything in my life to have prevented. And yet I was the one that caused the pain. Okay. Can you send us out with a quote to help forge our listeners as leaders and as entrepreneurs? A quote. Um, yeah, I'm not real big on quotes, but I, I do know that if you're not continuing to get better than you were yesterday, you're always going to struggle with the same thing today. Okay. Now here's a bonus because I promised I'd ask about that airplane behind you. So you tell me that I write off airplanes and make other people pay for them. <laughs> yeah. So I have a flight school. You can do this with anything, but what I do is I write off an airplane under section 179. We bonus depreciate out the whole cost of the aircraft. I lease it to a flight school. Students rent the plane. I make money on the lease. And I was able to make money on the airplane going in. So I'm able to have, I have a fleet of four aircraft. I I'm going to buy two more this year. I'm going to bonus those out. I'll actually get a check back from the IRS and somebody else will pay the tab and I can fly them when I want. Got to love it. How can our listeners reach out to you? Easiest way is just shannonropnet.com. You can reach me there. You can, my calendar's there. I'd love to book a call with you, figure out what we can do to help you on your investment journey. Okay, thank you so much for taking the time to share your knowledge and experience with our audience. Appreciate you having me on the show, George. All right, thank you.